Hello and welcome to Little Yo Pod, the all things Yosemite podcast. I'm Laura Jackson. I am an interpretive guide and naturalist in Yosemite who has lived and worked in the park since 2004. And I'm here to bring you stories and features of Yosemite and the Sierra Nevada that I have found fun and compelling and interesting from my time there. So I know a lot of people are getting really anxious right now uh, about summer vacation plans in Yosemite since the park is still closed due to the COVID-19 outbreak. And on the other side of that, many, not all, but many Yosemites are getting really anxious about when they will be able to go back to work again. And I certainly include myself in that camp. To me, it has felt a little like living in bizarro world for the past six weeks five weeks. I I don't even know how long it has been. I can't remember (laughs) what normal life was like anymore or even what day it is. I don't know. I got a text this morning that said, Feliz Cinco de Mayo, amiga, whatever that means. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But anyway, as is often true in a crisis, Every cloud has a silver lining. I know that sounds a bit cliche. And uh, I know it is a little bit difficult to recognize at times, but the sun shines through even on the darkest days. I try to make it a practice to ask myself, what good can come from something terrible? Not in an effort to be Pollyanna or overly optimistic, which I certainly am not, but to challenge my own notion of how things should be or how I think they should be. So what does this time make possible? Well, here's one thing that I have found. While the lives of humans have certainly been interrupted, wildlife seem to be enjoying the small break in the action, as is evident from the increased bear and coyote sightings over the past few weeks in Yosemite Valley. So I saw some headlines claiming that the bear population had doubled in the park, which I I don't think is necessarily true. I mean, I'm not there counting the bears myself, um, but I don't believe we had a migration of 500 bears into Yosemite in the past month and a half. Rather, the bears are less hindered by the crowds of visitors usually visiting the park this time of year. And instead of having to circumvent roads and populated areas, the wildlife can go wherever they please. I even saw a photo of a lone coyote relaxing in the middle of the road near Yosemite Falls. Apparently, the best place to take a nap is on the double yellow line. Who knew? Maybe that's been that was their resting place for thousands of years before the road was built. Um, And I recall seeing wildlife behave in a similar way two years ago during the Ferguson fire when Yosemite Valley was closed and most of the residents were evacuated for almost a month during the summertime. One difference between that incident and the current situation uh, is that there are still people living in Yosemite Valley who get to see and document the wildlife adjusting to their new quiet neighborhood. And it really reminds me of how quickly an environment can return to a natural state in such a short amount of time. This week, I have become intrigued, you might say a little bit obsessed, by soundscapes and what we can learn about an environment by studying it with our ears. And there is really no better time to explore soundscapes in nature than in the spring. 
the natural world is waking up again. Well, the human world is also waking up again after shuttering itself away during the cold months. So bears are emerging from their dens and sometimes they have little new baby cubs in tow. Uh, Birds are migrating back to the park. We get a ton of new birds that come in this time of year. Snow melt from the high country is steadily feeding the waterfalls and streams. We see uh, ephemeral waterfalls popping up all over the place and cascading down the valley walls. And love is in the air as Pacific tree frogs sing a massive chorus well into the evening. Sound really consumes us this time of year and the air seems to vibrate with excitement and energy as nature springs to life. So this week on Little Yo Pod, I wanted to talk about the songs of the vernal season and the things we learn when we not only hear what is happening in our environment, but when we actually listen to it. So I want to give you a heads up on this week's episode. There's going to be some audio later on that may be difficult to hear over speakers. So if you have some headphones, I would recommend using them for today's show in particular. So my fascination with soundscapes began really when I heard a TED Talk given by a man named Bernie Krause. Mr. Krause worked as a sound creator for film in the 1970s and 1980s, but after he had a remote experience um, recording sounds in Mirror Woods, he went on to become a prolific collector of environmental soundscapes. By recording environments over time, Mr. Krauss noticed how an ecosystem changed by how a soundscape changed. He was the person who discovered the effect air traffic had on the ecosystem of Mono Lake, a brilliant blue alkaline lake just outside of Yosemite's eastern entrance. It is quite the phenomenon. The flow of air traffic over the lake interrupted the chorus of the spadefoot toad, which is actually a frog. And the amphibian song was a defense mechanism against predators, as the aggregate sound created by thousands of synchronized frogs made it difficult for predators such as coyotes and birds, um, owls, to hunt the frogs individually. Yet whenever a plane flew overhead, the song was interrupted and the frogs went silent taking a full 45 minutes to synchronize again, during which time uh, the frogs are very vulnerable and many of them were picked off by predators, by coyotes and owls. So Krauss became intrigued with how an ecosystem could be monitored by its soundscape, and he collected thousands of hours of sounds over the decades. He came up with the acoustic niche hypothesis, a hypothesis stating that all living organisms in an ecosystem capable of communicating by sound occupy a specific frequency. So simply put, each organism dominates a time and frequency when they can best communicate with their own species. It's sort of like tuning into a radio station for your species. Um, The different sounds of an ecosystem are all layered together and they become so integrated, they can be described by our understanding as musical. And these are the sounds of the forest that we hear when we're out walking around. These systems have been perfected over thousands and perhaps even millions of years in some places. But with anthropogenic uh, influence moving to every corner of the planet, more and more soundscapes are being altered, interrupted, and changed, and sometimes even destroyed. So I want you to take a moment and consider your current soundscape. What do you typically hear where you live? 
On an average day, I can hear yard work. Uh, today, it's a leaf blower. A crow, um, the steady flow of traffic outside of my window is pretty consistent. In a few minutes, I will probably hear a plane coming in for landing at the Portland International Airport or the train, a train whistle in the distance. Um, so full disclosure, I'm not currently in Yosemite. I am in Portland. We don't have a great deal of air traffic uh, flying overhead in Yosemite, um, nor is there a train that goes through there. Um, but I'm here until Yosemite reopens. So this is my current soundscape for now. And I imagine this is the soundscape many of you are also hearing or something like this. Now, imagine sitting where you are 100 years ago. What do you think would be different? I think I would still hear the train nearby and I would hear a lot more birds. Um, I might hear the sound of horses. Now imagine what you would be able to hear sitting where you are right now 1,000 years ago. Just take a minute, not a minute, a second. <laughs> From where I'm sitting, I think I may be able to hear the Columbia River, which is less than one mile from my house. And I rarely even think of the river because any indication of it has been muffled by the sounds created by man, such as traffic, or it's been blocked by buildings. But if I was sitting here 1,000 years ago, I imagine I may be able to hear the river some days. And I would certainly hear an abundance of birds and animals that would be drawn here by the fresh water. When the founders of Yosemite as a state park and eventually a national park were considering the ideals of what a protected land would mean for future generations, they may not have thought about the things that were so ubiquitous in the American West in the 1860s, such as natural soundscapes or dark skies. Those aspects were naturally included with the promise to protect a land from development. And those features are not always fully realized at first when visiting a national park. I haven't yet met anyone who has claimed they were going on vacation to hear Yosemite. But I believe shifting a perspective and challenging a paradigm is what national parks are all about. One of the guided programs offered through my department is a nocturnal walk, where we encourage visitors to use their senses beyond eyesight to experience Yosemite. Nighttime is perfect for this activity because visual distractions are minimal and the park quiets down enough for us to really get to listen to our environment. And I say listen because hearing and listening are not the same. When you're listening, you are learning and experiencing. You're paying attention. It's not a time to judge anything as good or bad or pleasant or unpleasant. It's just an observation. It's an opportunity to receive and be present. Listening is one of the gateways to a world of information. I was on a phone call with a friend the other day as he was walking his dog in Yosemite and I heard something familiar in the background that made my heart leap. It didn't actually leap, but it felt like it was leaping. It was the song of a red-winged blackbird and I knew by that sound that he was near a meadow. And my memory took me to the place where I knew red-winged blackbirds like to hang out, especially this time of year. It's a little wetland meadow near Camp Curry where I used to live. Not long after that, he sent me a video of his dog listening to the Pacific chorus frogs or the Pacific tree frogs that come out this time of year. 
This time, my imagination went to housekeeping camp where thousands of frogs uh, emerge after the winter to call for mates for hours every day and well into the spring evenings. I thought of how one year ago I was standing outside of the Iwani Hotel under a star-filled sky with a group of people, some of whom had never ventured into a forest at night, and I offered them a moment of observation to listen for signs of spring, the croaking of frogs, for instance, or the chirping of bats overhead, the flow of cascade falls, every sound in that moment specific to that time and place. In another month or so, the frogs will go quiet like they always do. The red-winged blackbird will set off for its next home. Cascade Falls will eventually dry up. But for now, they're right where they're supposed to be, where they have always been. Even as time seems to have slowed down in our world, the rhythm of nature carries on, with or without us there to notice. We're not as far removed from the symphony of the natural world as we may think. We just have our own way of communicating with each other. In many ways, music is a type of language for our species. It's a series of sounds put together in a way we find appealing until they synchronize just so. Each note put together to form a delicate harmony. And where did this desire to create music come from? It's almost like it's inherent in us, not just to make it, but to love it. It moves our hearts and it moves our bodies. It's communication, it's interconnection, it's cohesion. It's the stuff we sent into space alongside the sounds of whale songs and bird songs. They're some of the best parts of us as a species and as a planet. There's a lot of change that comes to an environment when humans incorporate themselves into new places, but it's hard to realize what is being lost if we don't take the time to stop and listen. A study at Cornell University found that North America has lost 3 billion birds since 1970. And if things don't change, we are expected to lose two-thirds of the bird species in the next few decades. 
as more wildlands are urbanized and resources depleted for the mass production of goods, habitats are being changed. Many species are losing their homes and facing extinction. We can see it unfolding before our very eyes, and we can hear it in the absence of sound where it once was. So what does this time make possible? I have seen how a species can adapt and change under pressure when threatened. And I think if anything good has come from this global crisis is that we may have learned to live within means we may not have realized were possible. By reevaluating what, what is necessary and what is important to us, what we really need and what we don't, we may also realize what it will take to sustain a healthy planet for all species. Protected places like Yosemite are so much more than dynamic landscapes. They are homes. They are a reminder of the way things once were and the way things could be. There is music all around us if we only stop to listen. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod, the All Things Yosemite podcast. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also uh, follow and like us on the Facebook page at Little Yo Pod. If you have any questions, comments, or corrections, you can send them to me there. Or you can also email me at littleyopod at gmail.com. Check the show notes uh, for links to the resources I used this week. And for the link to Bernie Krause's TED Talk about soundscapes, which I highly, I cannot recommend highly enough. I, I really think everyone should watch and share this video. It is truly groundbreaking. I also want to thank my good friend, Tozi Cholula's dad, for collecting the sounds for me this week from Yosemite. And I want to thank Tozi, the wonder dog, for being patient on her walks while the recordings were being made and for my terrible mispronunciation of her name. This week's fun fact is that when frogs go into hibernation, I love frogs, as you can clearly tell. I talk about them all the time. When frogs go into hibernation, their bodies freeze almost completely. Their heart stops beating and they stop breathing. And when the air temperature warms up enough to thaw the frogs out, they resume normal activity, which is when they come out to me. So I guess that means that frogs have the best excuse for skipping the holiday season. So <laughs> you can't make it to... <laughs> the family Christmas dinner if you're going to be frozen in the pond, I imagine. <laughs> oh, it's my terrible attempt at humor. I'm sorry. Okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Little Yo Pod. Uh, I'm Laura Jackson. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful day. <laughs>